Hello, and welcome to the Tarot to Go radio podcast. I'm Anastasia Hazler, here with me today. Rose Red, hello everyone. And Andrew, hello. And our very special guest, Mary Greer. Welcome, Mary. Hi, I'm delighted to be here. We are thrilled that you were able to make some time for us today. It's yes, always indeed. fantastic to talk with you. And it's like, oh, yeah, we get to talk to Mary because it's been ages. It has. And, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to talk to you all. Oh, I'm glad, you know, because we, we saw you briefly um, at San Francisco Bats last fall, but the day seemed only about five minutes long, and I didn't get a chance to talk to anybody. So, so kind of a nice chance to have a chance to talk here. Um, so you've been teaching, you've been writing, you've been doing all these interesting things, and I've been following your blog, and you've been writing about all these fascinating things. It's like, oh, I wish I'd thought of that. If I were Mary Greer, I would have thought of that. <laughs> um, so where would you like to start with all these amazing things going on? Um, well, I'd, I'd really like to talk a little bit about uh, some upcoming workshops and things. I don't know if that's too early to do that. Uh, it's never too early. <laughs> it's never too early because the sooner people know, the sooner they can start planning and saving to go. That's true. Well, there's Reader's Studio that's coming up in April the 23rd and 20th to 25th. Mm -hmm. That's in New York. And it'll be me, Robert Place, and Eleanor Greenberg. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a fabulous um, weekend of, uh, it's considered advanced training, but people who consider themselves beginners, as long as they know what the tarot is, basically, um, can do fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's um, we've gone the past several years, and we'll be there again this year, so I'm quite looking forward to three hours of uninterrupted time. <laughs> and then after that, the, um, in June, is the Omega Institute Tarot Conference. It's the first time they've done this. It's in upstate New York, Rhinebeck, mm -hmm. and it's going to be a whole weekend with um, Juliet Shaman Burke, who did the Mythic Tarot and several books on, um, on tarot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lon Milo Duquette. Yay, Lon! Yes, he's been on a lot of your talks, I believe. Yeah, we we love Lon. He's, he's... Uh, Ruth a Ann and Walda Amberstone, mm -hmm. and Rachel Pollock and me. Yay! So yeah, it's going to be a fabulous weekend conference in a wonderful environment. Um, the focus will be on tarot and intuition. Mm -hmm. So it won't be so much uh, informational things as. Um, how do you tap into the intuitive um, aspect of reading cards? Wow, wow. nice, nice. Oh. Uh, so each person will bring their own take on it, and um, you know, all of us are not known primarily as intuitive readers, and yet we all do. So um, you know, we're going to be bringing out that aspect that doesn't get as much play in, in the books and mm -hmm. in the formal teaching that we do. Right. And yet we're all aware of how important it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if you ask anybody, they'll say, oh, yeah, because, you know, they have these great, you know, they know all this history and they have all this background information and they have these structures and philosophies about their approaches to the tarot. And the intuition kind of sometimes gets lost in there. Exactly. And that's what I thought would be interesting is pushing all of us to bring up this side of the reading process that we all use, we all come across, and yet doesn't often get into our books. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. it's the hardest to quantify aspect of being a reader or a, a diviner at all is the intuitive aspect. 
Exactly. And it's perfect for some place like Omega where we're there for only a weekend mm-hmm. and people of, are of all different levels of experience. And so it's kind of like throwing everybody right into the middle of it all. <laughs> and plus it's a gorgeous setting. Yes, it and... is. And fabulous um, food, you know, kind of holistic approach to things, lots of different um, therapies that you can take advantage of while you're there. It's a really good place just to disconnect and actually get in touch with yourself, your, your intuition, and the people that you're there with. And nature. Nice. Really nice. Hmm. Okay. June, that's June 11 to 13. 13th, and yeah. it's followed up immediately. Uh, the next five days is a workshop with just Rachel Pollock and myself on tarot magic. Wow. And the power of symbols and images. And we'll touch a little on formal magic, but it's more about the magic of the cards and the experience that's going on, how you can use the tarot reading in in formal and intuitive ways to create change. That sounds fantastic. Wow. And all that in only five days. Yep. Wow. <laughs> that's, amb- that's an ambitious program, but I love it. Yeah. Well, it will be the, the weekend beforehand, um, two and a half days, and then the um, five-day with just Rachel and me. So mm-hmm. expensive. Wow. So you could, like, spend a whole week out of reality. Yeah, and and you know, out of small R reality and in capital R reality. <laughs> yeah, and people who take advantage of um, both the five day and the weekend um, always feel like they've just had this um, very intense experience, making bonds with um, other people, other readers, mm-hmm. last their a lifetime. Well, yeah, and um, a deep learning that you can't always get in a quick weekend. Mm-hmm. Also, just the the personal transformation that must take place in that time. You know, having your cards read over and over again, looking at issues from all different kinds of perspectives. Mm -hmm. Um, People have made major life changes as a result of the work that was done um, during these intensive weekends and week-long processes at Omega. I I would believe it because it's, it's when you're focusing that much on what's real, what's authentic, um, and taking the time to step away from all the day-to-day stuff and connecting with yourself so powerfully, you can't come out of it the same person you went into it. Exactly. So, God, what a fantastic thing. I love that you do these things. Um, oh, I love having the opportunity to do them. It's, it's just fantastic. And, and you and Rachel teaching together is just such a treat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just the two of you just, you know, it's, it's, you're so different, but you're so complimentary. It's yes. great. I think so, too. Oh, and I should mention PantheaCon that's coming up next weekend. Oh, right. Yes. that's. Yeah. Oh, it is, isn't it? I've been in denial. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many people will get the podcast, but if you don't make this year's, next year's President's Day weekend in February is always um, a huge pagan conference, about 3,000 people, mm-hmm. and uh, lots of tarot uh, workshops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're, you're doing two this year. Yes. And and uh, Saturday and Sunday, and um, Lon, our our pal Lon, will be there as well teaching, in Thalassa, and I can't remember who else I saw tarot on the program, um, but quite a few people. Uh, Thina. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Thena. Yes, Thena MacArthur. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't know if he'll be there this year. He's he's not on the calendar for this year. Um, he's uh, he recently moved to well, not recently in August he moved to Los Angeles, and so he's doing a lot of work in Southern California now. And he continues to be incredibly popular in Florida. 
So he keeps going to Florida to do a lot of work. It's like, James, I'd like to see you. No, I'm in Florida. Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, so no James at Pantheacon this year because I think he's once again in Florida. So, um, but no, but it's it's a fabulous um, place to meet a lot of people, um, take these wonderful workshops with people like you and Lon, and um, also just to meet other people and sit around and throw cards and drink coffee or what have you and and um coming together of a bunch of like-minded individuals to you know express what they feel and and connect with somebody else who may not be able to do that you know in a mm -hmm. small town you may be the only person that you know and then you go to something like this and it's like oh my goodness i'm not the only one it's mm -hmm. great reaffirmation i think yeah it's also one of the things that's nice about things like pantheacon or reader studio or bats is that all these people that you've been hanging out online with <laughs> Right. There's also that, you know. you know, you've been reading their blogs or chatting with them on Eclectic or whatever, and suddenly they're there in the flesh. So, um, or, you know, for people who have not had the good fortune to have a class with, for example, you before, um, they can have a class with you and discover how wonderful it is and decide they need to take more. Well, one of the classes I'm going to do at Pantheacon is on um, cardamancers. Mm -hmm. I became fascinated by who were... The cardamancers, and you know, it, it sort of works out the way we would imagine, but perhaps even more so. Um, I tried to figure out how could I find out when the only histories are like the the books written by Madame Lenormand that were to promote herself, right? And a few comments in some of the older texts about um, who people were, occasional references in novels. And, you know, where else could I find out about the life, the life and the work of people who chose card reading as a profession? Mm -hmm. And I found the documents in uh, pictures. Oh. So I'm going to do a slideshow of um, uh, paintings, uh, etchings, uh, postcards of cardamancers from possibly the um, 1600s, 17th century to... Um, 1925, which is when the copyright stuff comes in. Wow, nice. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's a lot more evidence in the imagery than there is anywhere else, although if you balance the two, you get a pretty good picture of who cardamancers were. Mm -hmm. And, of course, most people would associate um, uh, gypsies with that, and that comes in in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. uh, before that, the predominant imagery is of um, old women of a lower class reading for uh, younger, usually younger and more affluent women. Mm -hmm. And the uh, exceptions to that are always interesting in their own right. Mm -hmm. um, most of the books... Uh, up until Madame Lormand in France, uh, were written by men. And that's primarily because that's who the writers were. And some of those have woodcuts of the men who were supposedly the authors of these books doing readings. So um, those are practically the only images we have of men doing readings. Interesting. Oh. Yeah, mm. kind of self-promotion of uh, the male authority, uh, uh -huh. Telling everybody how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Hmm, would that be a reflection of society at the time? Hmm. <laughs> this is historically over a couple of hundred years, uh -huh. what we find. <laughs> uh -huh. 
but the uh, genre paintings, which are kind of slice of life, you know, what you see in your everyday life kind of imagery, um, typically shows um, that older woman often in a kitchen or some very mundane part of the house um, doing a reading for this, you know, more affluent and usually younger woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a class of uh, images that uh, show young women reading for themselves or uh, for friends, peers. Mm-hmm. And that comes from the people who are the users of all of these books that are published by men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then later, when you get into the late 19th century, you get um, women uh, publishing them or in the names of women or using names like Mother Shipton's book, you know, the, the famous oracles, um, folk um, readers. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of an interesting um, look. There's the people who um, read for themselves as kind of parlor entertainment. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, uh, what you might call the hardcore professionals. Right. Who are um, what you would call disenfranchised within the regular commercial uh, world. Uh, people who, you know, need to somehow make a living and don't have the physical ability or the skills, or the um, uh, uh, you know, age makes makes it an issue or a problem. I would imagine many of the older women who were readers had also been midwives, mm-hmm. right? Um, or the wise women of the town. The wise women of the town, yeah. Although they're not depicted so much as what we would consider wise except in their, their age. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that um, the, the wealthier women turn for that wisdom to poorer women and, of course, the, the whole gypsy thing that uh, becomes later associated with the cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so I've been following because you've been posting um, on your blog different pictures that you found and doing analysis of them. Yeah, and that's just a very small uh, amount of the numbers that I have. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to this class because it, it's I, I'm just going to be interested to see what you found <laughs> and, oh, and how you're going to fit it into a very tiny presentation. <laughs> yeah. Well, analyzing it, trying to to get what are the trends that are being depicted in it, I think is absolutely fascinating. It mm-hmm. really takes kind of a village to be able to do a real in-depth analysis because there's always aspects of social social culture that not everybody individually is aware of. Mm-hmm. So by putting it out into the community, um, I'm able to gather information that I wouldn't have myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it, well, it's one of the things I love about your research is you do your research and then you send it out and say, okay, I'd like some responses. Um, because when you did, oh God, I can't remember when it was, um, your research on the emotions in the mm-hmm. tarot mm-hmm. and you, you had people, you know, do their own impressions and, and, um, that was a really fascinating, in, in a way it was kind of like an experiment almost. It was definitely an experiment because I had <clears throat> no idea what was going to end up, although I had some theories about the, the tendencies mm-hmm. and they were generally, um, uh, borne out by the by the research, mm-hmm. but it was amazing that there were individuals who really wanted to argue that this was, um, you know, not possible. That people did not see the same kind of emotions in the images and pictures. They didn't base that on anything except their own opinion. Mm-hmm. Right. 
and it was uh, definitely countered by uh, what I discovered, but they still wanted to argue that it was just impossible. <laughs> yes. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a certain reality in that everybody's brain is wired differently, and there's some people who don't perceive the emotions in the in images, mm-hmm. and they can't imagine that anybody else would. Right. And there's uh, some people who see very particular kinds of emotions in the images, and again, uh, they're so attached to that pers- emotional reaction that they can't imagine that anybody else would ever have a different one. Mm-hmm. So by seeing the trends, we're able to get a a perspective that we individually may not have had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It just you know because when you put these up and and you start the discussion about it, and then you know people jump in. And one of the things I love about your blog is you get so many comments, Mm -hmm. and you know they're not just hey Mary, nice column. People are really putting some thought and putting their ideas out there, and and it's this nice discussion forum almost. Oh, it, it is wonderful, and I always keep thinking of that idea of it takes a village. And uh, when you're looking at and analyzing this area that there hasn't been very much scholarly work done in, also mm-hmm. that's beginning to change, this um, kind of um, input from so many different people helps us see the kind of range of response that's possible, as well as bringing in the individual research that people are so generous about sharing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, 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 plus it's just, and, and your commenters also seem to have better writing skills than the average blog commenters, which yes. is nice. <laughs> well, I do have kind of a historical perspective, so it tends to draw people with, again, that kind of um, background that has an interest in the research mm-hmm. studies. Um, I'm working with Ross Caldwell, who lives in uh, American living in France, who works in li- the library systems and therefore has access to a lot of research. And we're hoping wow. to pull something together from uh, both the scholarly research on cartomancy as well as um, all the images and uh, the actual you know, folk use of the cards. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping to, to be able to pull something together into a book. Wow, what a terrific, terrific resource and what a terrific goal to have. Yeah, it's it's a lot of work, but we've um, you know, both of us have been looking at this material for a long time mm-hmm. and coming up with things that aren't in any of the previous books. Wow, that's fantastic. Wow. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, so. also, it, it helps to open up the whole subject beyond just tarot. Mm-hmm. I found, although that's uh, still my major focus, that when I started looking at it as a broader concept mm-hmm. and not being totally stuck to the parameters and definition of tarot, that it opened up a much broader folk practice mm-hmm. uh, that I had become somewhat blinded to by sticking with the structure of the tarot as separate from other divinatory practices. Mm -hmm. Every time you switch your parameters, um, you see something that you weren't able to see before. Mm -hmm. Very true. Absolutely. Yeah. And so kind of that perspective on cardamancy is, um, I'm finding, absolutely fascinating in its own right and brings in much more of an awareness of what has traditionally been more of a woman's sphere mm-hmm. right. that is commented on and defined by men. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. 
um, I mean, in contemporary times, it's uh, opening up much more to, you know, it being both men and women who are mm-hmm. practitioners and commentators on it. Uh, and it's becoming much more equalized. But historically, that's been the pattern. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and also, you know, an interesting social commentary in its own right. Yeah. It's sort of um, what you would find in in many areas, but Mm -hmm. the ones that are specifically women's areas that get kind of formalized um, in the social sphere by the men who tended to be the commentators, Mm -hmm. the most part until the late 19th century. Mm -hmm. Um, But with cartomancy, there is the the exceptions of uh, Madame Norman and Julia Orsini, who came after her. Mm -hmm. And actually, um, I I don't have her name right here now, but uh, there's a black woman in the United States who was part of that early, um, you know, hoodoo voodoo um, chat books, those small booklets. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, who also um, wrote some of her personal experiences. Mm-hmm. Are you thinking of Marie Laveau? No. no. Okay, I was going to say, I didn't think she actually wrote anything down. Specifically about cardamom. Yeah. And, um, yeah. But, um, no, just just interesting. And also getting the male perspective on what is, you know, a, you know, a, a female activity. It, I mean, it's not, but at the time, that was kind of how the separation was. Um, and, you know, is there comprehension? Is there empathy? Or is it, you know, objectification or, um, you know, a, oh, isn't this quaint, isn't this cute? And there is a lot of this, um, you know, isn't it quaint, cute, isn't this um, a uh, pleasant pastime and amusement that we all know has no basis in anything real, but it's a way for people to um, spend the hours uh, during the holidays it keeps the women folk amused and out of trouble. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Okay, sure. If that's what you want to think. A lot of that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, if that's what you want to think, we're happy to let you think that because it means you will leave us alone to let us do it. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that's that other side that's uh, hidden and not as uh, acknowledged. Mm-hmm. You expressed it really well. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's it's um, because you know if it's like well I don't know when you were a kid or a teenager or something and you were doing something that if your parents knew what you were really doing they would have had a complete fit. Mm-hmm. But it's like oh no we're just here you know playing Monopoly, uh, <laughs> and you know it's, it's I'm just uh, reading a book, Mom. It's okay. Yeah, you know you oh. hide hide one book inside. I mean I never had to do that because my parents really didn't care what I read. Right. But you know I had friends who would you know hide a comic book inside their school book or something. Mm-hmm. You know because mm-hmm. you know you can't read that junk; it destroys your mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting looking at the decks that were specifically created for cartomancy, the um, Sibylla cards, the Le Normand decks, the gypsy fortune-telling cards, mm-hmm. uh, because the motifs that they chose um, tended to focus on particular attitudes and beliefs of the period in time. Mm-hmm. Still used today, but people need to modify them today because uh, those are not always the exact focuses that we um, you know, want to be asking about, mm-hmm. although the Certain themes are there, you know, illness, marriage, <laughs> um, children, um, uh, arguments. Uh, but some cards, um, some sets of cards um, emphasize some of these over the others. And, of course, uh, finding the marriage partner is a big theme. Um, theft, money, loss, 
mm-hmm. uh, gain of money, mm-hmm. although not very much about the actual work itself that would be involved <laughs> in it. It's more of the luck of whether the money's coming in or going out. Mm-hmm. Well, it's tend to be themes that are seen in these decks. Uh-huh. Well, it's it's also um, particularly with the Lenormand, um, the class of people that she was, you know, she she was very much an aspirational fortune teller. And the class of people she was catering to weren't people who necessarily worked. That's a good point. <laughs> and see, that's why it takes a village. Yeah, and and you know, it's it's you know, cause she's reading for you know the the Napoleon and their friends and associates, and these are people who may have positions in court or positions in government, but they don't necessarily have a job. They don't necessarily work. And so it's like, okay, I've got this money that I inherited. I need to invest it wisely or I'm a spendthrift or whatever. Money just sort of happens for uh-huh. these people. It's not something you work and you get money. You make investments or you speculate or something mm-hmm. um, or you invest in somebody else's something. Um, but actually working and getting money, you know, a, a paycheck basically, not part of that culture, not part of that social stratus. Yeah, um, it's interesting because some of the cards that do refer to specific people are um, a judge or a man of law, um, mm-hmm. a um, military person, mm-hmm. and then wealthy, young, old people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that yeah. tends to be the range. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, okay, so you know, where's, where's the cook? Where's the laundress? Where's the stable guy? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The bookkeepers <laughs> and the, uh, the scribes. Yeah. They're <laughs> elsewhere. They make it happen. Mm-hmm. They're busy working. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're not present in the deck because they're really not relevant to the question. Yeah, yeah. except for the servant card, which some decks <laughs> did have. You've got to have that person who will take care of the things that you don't want to. Right. Exactly. Or who might be the person who stole something that you're looking for. As yeah. is often the suspected case, because you know, everybody knows that servants were, were lazy and not to be trusted. Mm. Yeah, so mm-hmm. those kinds of values and morals are there, and... Um, it's interesting that these uh, decks are becoming hugely popular just in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So reemerging again, and um, the, because there's these hidden um, perspectives and values that people don't always acknowledge when they just pick up one of these decks. Uh, you know, they think they're going to get a reading about their lives, but there's very specific focuses that they may not be aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think that's one reason why you find um, the decks being redevised, redesigned periodically in order to um, uh, cater to the different interests. Right. But it's why tarot is so fascinating, because no matter what the changes are, the tarot seems to be more adaptive than anything except maybe regular playing cards themselves whose meanings can be adjusted. Mm -hmm. But uh, the tarot really seems to, even in the major arcana, fulfill that whole range of needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just think it's fascinating that it's held up Mm -hmm. well as it has since the the 15th century. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's evolved and, um, you know, it's, it's... People don't necessarily think in terms of like king, queen, knight, page anymore because most cultures don't have those as actual functioning roles in the society. Um, but the modern equivalents, um, you know, it's, it's fresh out of college, you know, middle point career, establishing your career, retiree, whatever. Um, and, and so having that change come. Mm-hmm. And um, also moving away from a society where service is very common. 
um, I was actually talking with Christoph, my husband, about this. And, you know, 100 years ago, even middle class families had a couple of servants. Mm-hmm. And now the whole idea is like, you know, okay, you have a housekeeper who comes once a week and, and you know, vacuums and dust so your place doesn't get condemned. Um, but nobody has that kind of, of, you know, servant service kind of thing happening anymore. And people aren't fulfilling those roles. Um, you know, pretty much everybody works except people in the upper stratus of society, but that's different. Um, I don't get up there very often. So everybody I know works. Um, but just how that changes what you see in the cards because you don't have that frame of reference. Right. Exactly. And even the people who have what would normally or previously been servants, are, those are now seen as professional fields that you call in the professional for if you've got the money to do it. Right. And right. They, um, they serve. It's a different kind of relationship and focus. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, somebody who takes care of your child might be a, a child care professional. Right. Mm-hmm. They have a degree. They have a master's degree in early childhood psychology. Yeah. Yes, they do. You know, they, they're not just changing diapers and, and, you know, watching Sesame Street with them. They, they've oh. been, tra- and even then, they know that there's training. I yeah. mean, it's, it's really an it evolved and process. And that's evolving so fast for, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but, but just, and, and also the whole idea that, um, you know, service workers now do have to be educated and have a certain level of skill and a certain level of sophistication. Um, you know, it's, it's, there, there are places where they have, um, I'm trying to remember what they call them, but basically they're, they're electronic housekeepers mm-hmm. and they come in every week and run up the updates for your software mm-hmm. and archive your email and whatever else, because you don't have time because you're busy doing whatever you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, this is a lot different than just running the vacuum cleaner and, yes. and cleaning the Doing oven. Laundry and, yeah. and um, but, you know, but it would, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a modern service position. Mm-hmm. And it applies to clientele, too, because um, I found I do a more psychological kind of reading, as you know, and mm-hmm. I involve the person in their own reading, um, having them respond to the images on the cards. And I found that someone who is a a grocery store checkout clerk will often have just as much depth of understanding of the symbolism and an ability to see the analogies um, and kind of the archetypal essence, whether they use that word or not, but that understanding of how that functions kind of intuitively in themselves Mm -hmm. um, at all levels of people's jobs and work. Um, it, it's amazing the sophistication of kind of self-conscious awareness right. that I find at all levels of the, the people I work with today. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just constantly um, amazed by the kinds of insights that people come up with themselves when looking at the cards, even if they've never seen a tarot deck before in their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, one of the things that's always fun in, in a workshop or a class is there's usually somebody says, oh, well, you know, I just bought this a week ago and I took the shrink wrap off this morning and I've never dealt with these and I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm not going to say anything. And then you do the first exercise and they completely nail it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it's almost better if you don't have an intellectual background in it 
Mm-hmm. Um, because you do get so caught up in, you know, the whole left brain. Well, you know, it's got the color blue, and blue is it's about spirituality. And, and, <laughs> but you know, today's Wednesday, so. <laughs> yes, so, so it would be about spirituality as it relates to your job. And, you know, it's like, ah. <laughs> Overanalyzing it, if, if yeah. anything. Yeah. yeah. And yet somebody who knows nothing about the cards can look at it and say, you know, that blue is so calming and peaceful. It really makes me look feel peaceful. And you go, yeah, they've got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Again, the intuitive aspect. Uh-huh. Without any experience, without any preconceptions, just mm-hmm. unwrap the plastic and, and say the first thing that comes to your mind. Yeah. Well, the experience is all in our life awareness and the fact that we as people, you know, just as there's more professionals now in terms of every kind of job and work, there's also more sophistication in the understanding that things um, uh, have reactions within us mm-hmm. that are significant to understanding what's going on in us mm-hmm. and are able to operate in terms of perceiving those um, those reactions mm-hmm. um you know people's insights are totally amazing and I, i'm sometimes curious whether that's always been there or not if that's some kind of you know newer awareness um certainly people have more permission to go with it mm-hmm. that's true yeah it's, it's a, but that's not what the book says well i don't care what the book says <laughs> yeah um because it, it's you probably notice this reading for somebody who's never had a reading before and you try to engage with them about the card and say, well, you know, what catches your, you know, what cut your eye when the card first turned over? Let's talk about that. And they say, well, I don't know what the right answer is. Mm-hmm. And what I always tell them is, well, in tarot, the only right answer is the one that works for you. Yeah. What makes sense to you? Because um, the idea is the tarot reading is supposed to be useful. If it doesn't make sense, it's not useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's really a revelation um, for some people. Because they're like, oh, well, but there's, you know, but, you know, there's got to be some authority that says this is what this means. And they look to you as the reader to tell them what it's supposed to mean. Right. Well, one of the things I do in in my book, 21 Ways to Read a Tarot Card, is I try to focus on ways as a reader that we can engage the querent without them um, kind of reacting, well, you're the reader, you must have the answers. But we'll draw the querent in just very organically, very naturally into the process because people say, well, you know, my clients aren't going to go along with it like yours do. Um, It's actually the uh, responsibility and the skill of the reader that um, has can have the querent be involved in it without there being any resistance, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or very rarely. Mm-hmm. There's always somebody who, somewhere who's going to dig their heels in and resist and, and um, want the reading to be a certain way. But that's pretty rare in my experience. Yeah. And so, um, you know, in 21 Ways to Read a Tarot Card, I try to do some training of the um, reader into how to um, phrase your questions in your, uh, when you're trying to draw out a querent mm-hmm. uh, in a way that will get them completely engaged in the reading itself. Mm-hmm. And will draw on those um, insights within them, themselves and for you to become, as a reader, a support mechanism for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because again, it's, I, the readers forget that the reading is about the client. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's 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 note the reading is about the client. It's not about you. 
Um, you may gain some personal insight from it. it. It's, you know, pretty much you get everything, you get something from every reading you do. Yeah. Um, it carries a message for you as well. But it is about the client. It is about the person sitting across the table from you. So trying to keep that focus. Yeah, and there's there's different styles of reading. Um, you know, I, I don't really mean to put down um, kind of a traditional reading, but I sometimes find that um, readers who just, speak and the, the querent themselves never says anything, um, all too often skew all responsibility for what comes from what they say. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of like I, I tell you what I see in the cards and it's up to you to do with it whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And um, and then my responsibility ends with my saying whatever I see in the cards and I'm not responsible for how you react to that. And I have seen some abuses um, occasionally, not, not terribly often, but on occasion with somebody saying something that really um, was devastating mm -hmm. to the client and uh, the reader's responses, that's not my business. Um, I, I do think you know, this is human interaction. You are dealing with a real human yeah, being yeah. and yeah. their issues. And um, so, I, I mean, that is an extreme. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. You know, there's very few readers who are not empathetic enough to realize what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, but that is the exact opposite, the polar <laughs> opposite <laughs> of where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I just heard you expressing. Also. Well, yeah, because it's it's you know it's it's about the client. It's not about me. Um, if I hit something that strikes a nerve with me, it's like okay, make a note and come back to it later after I've done my reading, after I've helped my client through whatever they need, you know, whatever they're looking for. Because um, it's not about me, <laughs> yeah. and and that, and that's really hard sometimes because I think particularly in modern American culture, we're so used to everything being about us. How do I feel about this? What do I think about this? What's my opinion? It's like well, it doesn't really matter. It's the client's turn. Yeah. And actually, I found some of the most empowering things that have happened in readings is where the uh, the querent, the client, has pointed out some something that I'm wrong about. And when I started realizing that was happening, I found that I would deliberately set up situations where I could be wrong. Wow! In order for the the querent to uh, clarify or correct me because every time they did that there would be this empowering second mm -hmm. where they would suddenly see that their own power that recognize their own perceptions mm -hmm. you know have some personal kind of realization that would come with that and, en and engage them into the reading not just them sitting at the other side of the table listening it engages them. It also helps them. Um, as I say, it's, it's empowering for them. It, it is that transformational moment often mm -hmm. where they have some realization or breakthrough that comes with that. But through their countering something that I said or they're realizing a limitation in something I've presented mm -hmm. and they're being able to fill in that gap, it also fills it into themselves. Mm -hmm. No, that, that that's great because it's because you know you're you're going along and they're talking all of a sudden you you see they light up and they have that aha mm -hmm. and you can almost see like the light bulb materialize over their head like in the old cartoons. Yeah, and when <laughs> they have to argue for something, they realize where they need to make a stand. Mm -hmm. Sometimes mm -hmm. that's resistance. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'll use that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I let the person be as resistant as they want, mm-hmm. um, because often if you just keep backing away from that resistance, they fall into their own trap and they suddenly have a realization. <laughs> so, I mean, that's another one of those subtle mechanisms that happen. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but but it's, it's um, yeah, it's, it's talking about, you know, early childhood psychology, that just the subtle... Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, techniques which, you know, are useful for dealing with, with petulant children can also be good for dealing with clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's been one of my uh, tasks in the uh, more recent years is how do you actually train people in becoming aware of these things as readers? Mm-hmm. How do you train a reader to do these, I call them tricks of the trade. They really are in a sense, uh, but they're sensitivities to um, how people um, react and how people come to their insights. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of that in 21 Ways where I try to make aware, people aware of um, how they can guide a reading. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I say it's a trick, but it's not... It's a it's technique. Not a bad <laughs> trick. It's, um, it's using a natural human response. Mm-hmm. And being aware of that, it's it's similar to some of the uh, things that are done in, in neuro linguistic programming, with mm-hmm. um, you know psychological techniques that try to really take advantage of human reactions, mm-hmm. both conscious and unconscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, it's interesting because. Um... I can't remember who I was talking to because I can't remember anything anymore. Um, but um, we're talking about would you rather have a client who cries or a client who gets angry, mm-hmm. you know, which mm-hmm. is easier to manage. And in some ways, a client who gets angry or upset is easier to manage because if they're crying, they're just, you know, not just, but they're processing their hurt or their fear or whatever. Um, but the anger usually leads to, to some kind of breakthrough for them. Mm-hmm. And so while it can be a little more unsettling to deal with a client who has an anger response, um, in some ways it's, it's, it's um, a more transformative experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, crying is good. Sometimes you just got to let it out and then, and then you can get angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or you're so angry you cry. Um, but, but just in, you know, in, in managing both of those responses. Well, that gets back to the whole emotions thing and what I was dealing with in the tarot and emotions because um, uh, the emotions do come up in readings. And if you can, as you said, simply be there with it, learn to hold the space for it, Mm -hmm. um, allow that process to come through or sometimes uh, give just that little bit of needed resistance that helps them to have to jump over a fence or something Mm -hmm. the other side, whatever that that process is. But if you learn how to be with that person's emotions and guide them through an awareness of it, like I draw attention when people uh, react with anger or tears or whatever. I say, okay, stay with that emotion. Tell me something about it. Mm -hmm. That relate to the card. Where is that here in this card? Mm -hmm. I always bring it back to the imagery in the card. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I use that. Um, Magic, um, which is all about transformation or change, uh, is takes several things, and one of them is the ability to see something, visualize it, and the cards are helping us to do that. But it's also being able to charge it with energy, and energy is emotion, mm-hmm. emotion, energy in motion. 
and we're trying to direct that motion. Mm-hmm. No, that, that's great. I love that. Oh, I think uh, the emotional side of tarot is where the, uh, we can really access the magic of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know, particularly sometimes um, it, it's when you're reading and you kind of get a little too left-brained and you're kind of doing the practical daily, you know, life changes coaching thing. And it's like, wait, what, what about the emotional side of it? What, what's the resistance here? Why, you know, this person says, I have the stated goal, I want to reach it, but they're, you know, self-sabotaging or, you know, they're unfocused or they're not making it a real priority or whatever. Forgetting, forgetting to take into account the emotional component of that and saying, well, you know, you, you know try making a to-do list and checking things off. It's like, well, what's what's the emotional psychological resistance here, you know, to doing that? And it's like, you know, it turns out their mother was, you know, a complete organizational freak, and everything had a list, and they just have this phobia of lists. Yeah. Um, so it's like, okay, well, let's deal with the phobia, let's deal with the mother issue, whatever. Well, the emotion is always where the energy is, mm-hmm. and the uh, we have to access the energy in order to have change. Mm-hmm. So um, the, whenever you ignore that, you're ignoring like the most powerful component mm-hmm. of creating change in a situation. Mm-hmm. And when you're aware of it and work with it, then that's when you're able to actually, um, you know, create magic in, in a reason. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's con- until you access that energy, it's either blocked mm-hmm. or it's dormant. Yeah. And, you know, blocked, it doesn't, you know, it just gets dammed up and isn't very effective. And, and if it's dormant, well, you're just, you know, wake up. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Rose is making this poking gesture. <laughs> poke, poke. Yes. Um, so, wow. Um, goodness. <laughs> and we all started with cardamancy here. Um, but so um, also uh, in 21 ways um, to read a tarot card for anybody who hasn't looked at it yet. I highly recommend you pick it up. Um, even if you don't work through all the exercises, although it's very helpful if you do, just reading it um, is going to give you a good perspective on how you can expand your tarot reading skills and techniques. Um, but there, there's just so much in there. And um, at one point we had a group and we'd started working through it and, yes. then, and then life happened. <laughs> like it does. Um, it was like, okay, trying to like get three of us from three different counties together at the same time in the same place on a weeknight after work just kind of stopped happening. Um, but I found it very helpful. Um, we should try it online now. Yes. Yeah, we... also online at eclectictarot.com. Um, there, in their forum, um, there's a ongoing group that you can join at any point. It's uh, divided step by step, so you can just go through the steps on your own, and usually one or two people will step in and comment on um, being encouraging to you. Um, and you can read other people's processes going through the steps. So that's a good way if you don't have a group around um, you to you know, try out some of these processes and exercises that you can do it online. That's true. I love Eclectic. It's, it's a great place to spend a lot of time if, mm. if you're going to spend time online. <laughs> it's one of the most supportive forums and yet with still a serious um, uh, approach Mm-hmm. tarot and it does have a range of things of um, not uh, tarot's the main focus but it also has other cardamancy techniques and other forms of uh, divination and psychic uh, insights mm-hmm. 
directions to discuss those. Mm-hmm. So with, with all this work you've, and research you've been doing with cardamancy, have you actually been working with it at all with your readings? or um, Not for other people so mm-hmm. far, but with myself, um, that's what I've been doing. I, I mean, mm-hmm. over the years I've tried doing some various cardamancy mm-hmm. things with other people, but not um, as a, a heavy focus. Mm-hmm. I'm mostly trying it out on myself and seeing how that goes, and then also um, checking on the Internet people who have been doing this for uh, quite a long time and have a lot of experience mm-hmm. will put up sample readings and it's uh, I learn best by example mm-hmm. so I find um, the the blogs and websites where people have example readings and talk about you know long-term outcomes versus what they thought it was going to be mm-hmm. those are some of the most um, interesting ways for me to learn hmm. Wow that's great mm-hmm. um, it's it's because I, I have a um, I have a Lenormand, which I've worked with a little bit. Um, I was doing really good for a while about doing a week. She, there's this weekly spread that you pull a card for every day, and then at the end of the week you go back and see kind of how it worked out. Mm-hmm. And I was doing really well with that for a while, and then, I don't know, something happened. Yep. Um, we moved. That was it. <laughs> it just kind of disrupted everything. Um, and then I've also got um, what's a, what's called a French tarot deck, um, which is um, – numbered like traditional playing cards but it's got these scenes on them and they're different scenes depending on whether the card is upright or reversed yeah and and i love those and um um and and so trying to work with those and trying to figure out like okay you know setting aside like all the you know heavy tarot symbolism and not like bringing in the kabbalah and astrology and numerology and everything else and just working with what's actually on the card Hmm. (laughs) is kind of a challenge well and it's it's a much simpler more direct kind of approach. So as you said, it doesn't have all these heavy levels of symbolism. It doesn't uh, get into the psychology of the situation. Um, it's more about um, a letter with good news or bad news mm-hmm. becoming, and so in th- this type of person is going to be affecting this in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's very concrete, specific within the parameters of you know what cards there are. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another one, Gypsy Witch, is uh, probably the most ex- uh, accessible and easiest to find of those kinds of decks. It's mm-hmm. so a 54-card um, deck, whereas a lot of them are 32 cards, and um, those are you know, much more limited in their range mm-hmm. uh, of possibilities. Mm-hmm. Also, the Gypsy Witch has a little um, piece printed on each card, giving you some direction for what the card means. Mm-hmm. So that's a good one for people to start with. Yeah, and some, and and it's fun. It's not overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, you're getting back into that amusement. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's 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 because sometimes you know when people don't want, when people don't want to look at something. Yeah. You know, you you trick them into looking at it because you entertain them, and then suddenly mm-hmm. they're realizing they're thinking about what they didn't want to think about. Yep. <laughs> it's like, ha it worked. <laughs> yeah. You know, trick into learning with a laugh. Um, so, um, wow, well, it, it sounds like you've just been doing all this interesting research and, and work, as always, and thank you for taking the time to talk with us about it. Oh, it's endlessly fascinating to me, and I love sharing it with other people. Yeah, that's fantastic. And um, so, and we've talked about going to be at Reader Studio, going to be doing the two events at Omega. Um, anything else on the horizon you want to share with our listeners? Um, 
oh, I'm uh, going to be doing a revision of my book, Tarot Constellations. They'll probably put a different name and some um, additional materials, um, you know, some things in and some out from uh, the original book Mm -hmm. and expanding certain sections. Um, But that will be coming out sometime probably late next year. Oh, how exciting. Yeah. Yay, that's good news. Yes. Oh, yay. Well, go Mary. Uh-huh. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out of your Saturday to spend with us. We really appreciate it. I appreciate being here with you. Yeah. So thank you, Mary. Thank you, Rose. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, thank and you. thank you. Yes, thank you to our engineer, Christoph. He's waving again. Um, we always love hearing from our listeners. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a topic or a guest, please feel free to drop us a note at podcast at tarotpathways.com. We appreciate you listening. And we'll be in your headset again soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.